Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is inventory is everything with my friend, Jeff Flowers. How's it going, Jeff? Joe, going well. Thanks for having me on the, on the uh, podcast with you today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about this. So, Jeff, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Yeah, so I'm in our corpus office today in Orlando, Florida. I'm the chief operating officer for a company called OneRail. And just a funny story, Jeff, from uh, this past week, and I was at a family reunion and uh, back in Pittsburgh, born in Cleveland, raised in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to apologize to everyone out there that's trying to understand a little bit of my Pittsburghese. Uh, but I was back at a family reunion and, and one of my family members said to me, he said, hey, uh, what do you do? <laughs> like, what do you do for a living? And I said, I explained to him, I said, hey, I said, so OneRail gives retailers and distributors, manufacturers, you know, access to a marketplace of logistics providers. We give them 100% visibility of all of their deliveries in flight for every mode that you can think of. So think of courier, think of carrier, think of parcel. And, and I, I even try to tease them a little bit and I go, yeah, and drone when it's ready, right? So, <laughs> and, and, you know, part of that, you know, what we do with our access to nine and a half million carriers and couriers is we give our shipper customers a, a, an ability to be able to reduce their shipping costs by having a marketplace available to them. So, you know, that gives them the, the ability to be able to control price. But at the same time, our platform allows shippers to, to be able to, you know, have a responsive experience. And, and so being able to control this experience the entire way. So they have a delivery, they give it to a network through us, and then they control the experience. And the funny part is he said, so yins are like DoorDash? And I said, no, 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 it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> I said, our customers, we send DoorDash to go pick up something. But what we do is we make sure that DoorDash is, is not getting sent to go pick up a pallet of cement and that XPO is not being asked to deliver a, a bag of pet food three miles away. So just a funny story there. I, I just What I thought you were going to say is this. He said, oh, you're delivering it by by train. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's funny because everybody asks that question. It's like, why is one rail in, in the in in the name? And as you think about how you know, just the notion from when Bill Catania, our founder, founded the company, we believe that the delivery transaction should execute no different than a financial transaction. So if you think about it, when you take your credit card and you swipe your credit card on a transaction. There are so many handshakes that take place as part of that banking relationship that you don't even know about. And we have designed a platform that has the exact same approach for the delivery side of the business. You care about having something delivered to your customer. All of the pieces in there should be should assemble behind it without you even having to think about it with 100% guarantee of OTIF, right? I want it to be delivered on time and in full. That's where we come in. Right. And you mentioned OTIF, so anyone who's saying, what the hell does he say? So he said that kind of quick. Explain what OTIF is. OTIF is the expectation that I have something that needs to be delivered to a customer and there's a delivery promise attached to it. In our world, we live in the world of 90 and 120 minute delivery promises. We're not looking at picking something up and delivering it five days from now. But what we're expected to do, our customers expect us to do, is to execute a delivery on their behalf where it's picked up at 9 a.m. and it's delivered to their customer by 1029 a.m. It needs to be delivered on time and it needs to be delivered full, which means it's not damaged, every item is there, and the customer is happy. That's the most important piece about OTIF. It's not about meeting the delivery promise. It's about meeting the delivery promise and, and, and over-servicing your customers. Yep. And I think it, we, we really jumped right into it here, but on time and in full is an interesting, so it's so it's O-T-I-F. On, on time and in full is an interesting uh, topic all in itself in that Let's just say you, I, I'm getting something, then there's 12 of them and you guys are delivering to me. And let's just say 10 are there and two are broke or two are missing, whatever it is. And you go, okay, so that dings our metric, right? Increasingly, brands are starting to be judged by suppliers and at the big retailers Absolutely. are being judged by their OTIF performance. And brands are, in some cases, 
going with fewer suppliers, fewer SKUs. I think one of the things that some retailers learned during the pandemic is if we just have seven brands of peanut butter, we sell more than if we have 27 brands of peanut butter. So how are they getting rid of those others? They're looking and saying, how much does it sell? But also, are they a reliable supplier? And if you can't deliver on time and in full, you're not a reliable supplier. And it impacts your NPS. So as you think about your net promoter score, I mean, there's research out there that will show that a, pl- a positive delivery experience can increase your NPS score by 20%, but a negative NPS, a negative delivery experience can reduce your NPS score with that customer by 40%, and it will cause them to, uh, cause them to impact your loyalty. It will cause them to go look at other alternatives because of that delivery experience. And I think we've all had it, right, Joe? And by the way, when when we say MPS, net promoter score, more and more companies are using net promoter scores. So if you look at the Fortune 500, probably the vast majority are using some form of NPS. And sometimes it's a, just a simple question you'll get after you stay at a hotel. Would you recommend us to a friend? That's it. Yes or no, right? And those are uh, how they're judging judging partners. That's how they're judging your experience. And Anyway, we jumped so, so quickly into this, Jeff. I get so, excited about this stuff, Joe. It's fucking uh, no, real me I, in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you. Where where'd yeah. you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And then I want to talk about when and why you joined OneRail. So I'm a Rust Belt guy. Was born in Cleveland, Ohio. I, I'm a Pittsburgher tried and true. So mom and dad moved me to Pittsburgh. I was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'll try to keep the Pittsburghese to a minimum. I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, so all the Pitt fans out there, hail to Pitt. Background was a little bit more analytical, so graduated with Pitt, uh, graduated from Pitt with a, a degree in accounting. Found out that Davidson credits were not necessarily my thing. I really got you know just kind of more fancified by uh, finance, so worked my way through some finance roles. But where the relevance to what I'm doing today came in was after I moved out of the finance role and into an operations role. I worked for a company called Blue Links. Blue Links is one of the nation's largest building products uh, distributors and was there from 2016, uh, 20, 2006 to 2016. Role that I left Blue Links at is is a role today that has has really founded me on the problems that our shippers face. So I, I was a general manager for metal products division. And in that role, we were trying to supply very large deliveries to customers right alongside very small deliveries to customers. <laughs> and I, I tell this story about, I, I was in our Lawrenceville, Georgia location, 750,000 square foot facility. And I look and saw a little package of rebar pins, two foot rebar pins that was on a pallet on a 52 foot flatbed right beside 20 foot rebar. And I'm scratching my head and I'm looking at the distribution center manager. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, well, those are two stops. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, that one's going to a big box and that one's going to the big box right next door. And I was like, wait a minute, that two foot bundle of rebar pins is going to a customer a lot and across the street we're going to deliver 20 foot of rebar he's like yes and it was at that point i said this process is broken why am i putting a bundle of two foot rebar pins on a pallet and shipping it to a big box and then that 20 foot rebar is going right across the street and it was at that point I, we started to understand that that you know inventory is a critical element of what we do. Inventory is everything, and transportation is a key element to that as you look to develop your supply chain. So you know that 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 relationship at Blue Links really started to help meld me in sales and inventory and operations planning, and then also understand the trans the transportation elements of the business. And uh, that's what I'm excited to bring to, to the OneRail team. Today. So how did you end up at OneRail? How did you find out about those guys? I know you, uh, you did very well at your last company uh, and you had some equity there. And uh, why ever leave that? Yeah, so I left Blue Links and, and went and uh, partnered uh, with a very good friend of mine. And we bought an access control company that had a niche in the self-storage space. And, and we sold that company in, in 2019 to HID Global. But along that journey in, in, in with that access control company, I got introduced to uh, Bill and Lisa Catania. And Bill and Lisa Catania are the founders of OneRail. And as part of that relationship with this access control company, we had started to partner with Bill in an element that was important to what we were doing then. But I really started to get to, to, to spend time with Bill and understood his vision of transforming logistics and supply chain. And I was like, 
this guy's got something. And my business partner and I at the time are like, I think we need to try and, you know, maybe see we can slide a little money in here because I think I think he's he's onto something. So I'm a very early investor. It was one of our very first one of our first five angel checks in. But man, once we once we had the opportunity to sell that company to HID Global, I, I couldn't wait to be able to join Bill and Lisa on this ride, to be completely honest with you. So Bill was on my podcast once and he talked about his aha moment with OneRail at the uh, big box store. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember the day he came to me and put the presentation. Anybody knows Bill? Bill is the king of, of PowerPoint presentations. He loves them. And he's fantastic at it. And he put one slide up there and it was it was the the problem that this big box had. And it, when you looked at how they were going about their business, they needed a relationships with over 60 legal entities, courier entities, to be able to provide a 60% compliance to the delivery promise. So they had a 90-minute delivery promise that they were able to meet 60% of the time with 61 legal entities. Wait, they, wait, 90 minutes was the goal, and they met at what, 60% six, of the time? 60% of the time they were That's able to That's not good it. enough. <laughs> and, they, and they had 60 <laughs> companies that they had engaged with. But the problem was the guy that was in, in Omaha was had the ability to pick and choose whoever he wanted to do a delivery. And a lot of times he was using his buddy, right? And oh, they, yeah. there was no visibility. They had that, no That's reporting. a story as long as old as time. I, right. I, I, and anytime you're like in a, I remember winning business one time and they had like 40 locations and some locations were like, excellent. We got a great LTL provider who's going to do this, this, and this for us. And the others are like, not answer my phone call. And finally, like, if you don't have like a strong manager say, Hey, you're going to start working with the national here. They won't do it because, because they're fishing buddy. <laughs> they're fishing buddy. It sells them that. And you had no visibility. The only visibility you had was to pick up your cell phone and call them and go, Hey man, are you there yet? Cause uh, his customers called me and they're not received their delivery yet. And, and when Bill put that presentation on the board and I still remember sitting in that chair, looking at it, I looked at it and said, that's it right there. That is what solves the problem that I saw back in Blue Links, which is being able to take big deliveries and put them on the right asset and small deliveries and put them in the right asset, have visibility to both deliveries to be able to ensure that both are going to be delivered on time, but take that distribution center manager out of the equation. Why am I putting into, why am I putting human labor to being able to call a courier to pick something up when I can API connect to connect into your single source of truth, whatever it is, your OMS, your order management system, your WMS, your warehouse management system. We can connect into whatever your single source of truth is intercept that delivery and then put it into our marketplace that ensures that you know one of those 9.5 million drivers is the right asset to pick up that delivery and deliver it on your behalf it's your experience and then be able to give you visibility across the entire the, the entire transaction to me that goes back to that operating as a financial transaction all those handshakes that have to take place all take place electronically, and I don't need humans anymore. Yeah, and by the way, the problem you described there, we've, we've been solving that on the LTL and the truckload side for the last 10, 15 years before we got to e-commerce all of a sudden becoming a big thing. But what I thought was interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you heard the same story, is Bill went to buy, a, I think it was a refrigerator, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what was his experience? Because what you just described is, the seller's experience with a cool platform, connectivity. But there's the other side, which I want a good customer experience. And Bill was not going to get a good customer experience from the refrigerator delivery. Yeah. So he's in a large big box store and, and he's got a he's got a refrigerator that uh, had failed. And and obviously when you're he needs a new one. Fails, it's <laughs> FCON one, right? I've got a whole bunch of food in there and it's starting to expire. So I need a refrigerator. He goes and picks it out. It's like, I'll take that one. It's right there. That's cool. They're like, that's awesome. It's you know, we'll be happy to deliver to you in 10 days. And and Bill's like, 10 what? <laughs> like, I'll 10 be days? at my house all day tomorrow if you want to yeah. deliver it. <laughs> and they said, well, your other option is you can come and pick it up. And he's like, well, yeah, that's an option. But like, can I get it today? And they're like, no. So, you know, he starts flipping through, you know, flipping through his phone, looking for kind of Uber for moving. And there's nothing there. There's just not a viable option. And, and you know, so that is really what birthed 
what we have today is is OneRail, is the ability to be able to have what you want delivered when you want it and control the experience. We have customers today that have an expectation on 30-minute deliveries. When that order comes across to us, we have somebody there to pick it up and deliver that in 30 minutes from the time that we receive the delivery. Yes. And that is that is the 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 crescendo to to Bill's founder's journey story, which is he wanted a refrigerator, wanted it same day. But we all expect I want it when I need it, and that could be as soon as 30 minutes. Yeah, and you know what's crazy, Jeff, is if this was 20 years ago and that happened. Bill would have been like, well, that is what it is, right? Except in this last 20 years, we've gotten used to the idea that I bought something online and they delivered it the next day. So we've all had this consumer experience, usually informed by Amazon. You got to give them credit. Amazon created these fantastic customer interactions where we go, I can track it online. I can get it fast. And then when you go to work and you're trying to move tires or move refrigerators. And somebody says, yeah, that can't be done. It's got to take 10 days to deliver the refrigerator to your customer. Imagine how bad you feel as the salesman at that big box. You feel like a dumbass because you know you ordered (laughs) a T-shirt online and it came the same day, right? Yeah. And and then the other answer to it when you want the refrigerator is you got a pickup truck? Because if not, sorry, (laughs) you have to wait. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully the only people buying refrigerators are young and strong. That's it. That's with four buddies. (laughs) I don't know if Bill shared to you the end of the story, but the end of the story was he had to go get his F-350 and a couple of buddies go back and pick up the refrigerator and get it the same day because he was expired. So that's the ending of the story. But today we'd make sure somebody got it delivered and get it delivered to you today and you'd have it within two hours. What if my 80-something-year-old mom doesn't want to go? I mean, her buddies aren't uh, that that robust. I don't know that they're going to help her. Maybe maybe your son can get out there so anyway so one rail is and you mentioned this term orchestration platform talk a little bit about what you mean so uh, let me and and please clarify this so there's lots of people who are delivering kind of with that final mile you know from the warehouse to the home or from the warehouse to a business from the store to a home right those are the delivery people and but you mentioned orchestration platform what do you mean by that yeah, so the the just the fundamental premise of the platform is it is API connectivity into that single source of truth. And the orchestration takes place when that call for delivery is sent or intercepted by the platform. So let's just say that your customer, you're a retailer, your customer places an order online, there's four items in there, uh, through it comes through the OMS, that order comes directly to OneRail. From there, we take a look at the the every aspect of that order. We start with the delivery promise. We look at the dimensionality of it. And then we start to go through an approach that tries to evaluate every delivery option that's available based on that order. Is that order able to be shipped through parcel? Well, it depends on how fast you need it. If I need it today, parcel is not an option. If I don't need it for two days, parcel is an option. And then from there, you look at the dimensionality and say, okay, well, based on the size of that order, will it fit into parcel? And then, oh, by the way, what is the economics of fitting that order into parcel? Is it going to cost more for me to ship it ground because it's a little bit oversized? Or is it more cost effective to deliver it today because I can put it inside of a a cargo van and deliver it today more cost effectively than trying to do it with a a ground option? So the platform really orchestrates all of that decision-making on behalf of the shipper for what's important for them. And that shipper is that retailer. What's important for them, which is more important for their customer, right? Give the customer choice, but start with the delivery promise and say, okay, when do you need it, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And then from there, let me tell you what your delivery options are. And that's the orchestration of the platform. The key element to this is that, you know, in in the world of, of EDI, it works. In the world of API, it works faster. So the ability to be able to do this real time is at our fingertips. And, you know, kind of going back to my blue links days, that was one of the challenges we had back then, Joe, was, was APIs really were kind of in their infancy in, you know, 2014, 15, 16. So technology hadn't quite caught up to us to be able to do it, you know, real time. That's the beauty where we are today. This information exchanges in milliseconds. Yep. And I think one of the things I, I like what you said about all these different options, 
my refrigerator, Bill's refrigerator, isn't going to deliver by FedEx. They just aren't going to come get that, right? And then you go, well, it's not an LTL. It's not, it's, it's, we have some very well-developed markets. Truckload is really well-developed, not, not helpful. Parcel, really well-developed, not helpful for my refrigerator. And then there's every, every major city has all these different movers who do different things. Not a good option for everything, but they're a great option sometimes. And I need somebody to go vet those guys and say, here's what they're good at, and this is where I use them. And and by the way, if I'm a retailer or an e-commerce brand, I don't want anything to do with connecting with 9 million drivers. That's, that is not what I want. I love that you guys say, we will manage. We'll be a tech platform. Absolutely. The orchestration platform. And that we'll manage all that. We'll vet and manage those. And I think we're used to this model in freight brokerage. Give me, give me a nice platform of technology and don't make me go out and create a carrier network and manage a carrier network. And that's the right side of the platform. So the left side is that connectivity into the shipper, the retailer in this example. The right side of, of that transaction is the connect in, connection into the logistics partner. So every one of our logistics partners it has API connectivity into them as well. So we dispatch that order to them, assuming that they have somebody that's available, they accept it, and they're providing us with milestones in transit along the way. I'm on the way, I'm, I'm on the way to pick it up. I've arrived at the location to pick it up. I'm in route for the delivery. I've completed the delivery. Here's the proof of delivery. That is all exchanged electronically. But to your point, Joe, we have to dedicate a team to that. That is not something you will your way into. That is an approach that we have to have a whole team that's led by uh, Matt Schultz. Um, and, and they go and they secure that nine and a half million carrier driver network that's uh, growing every single day. And, and we do have a coach up or coach out mentality. If a logistics provider is, 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 is working their way into a market, we're working with them, we're coaching them along. But in the event that they fail, you know, we've given them the opportunities to try and resolve issues on their own. But in a situation where, you know, they're just not necessarily meeting our standards, which are our customer standards, the platform has the ability to be able to say, okay, you're not going to see any more deliveries. Because again, it's the customer's experience. Right. And that from my perspective, I don't want to, I mean, and there's a lot of great local companies. I know of some, but I, I don't necessarily want to have to make the phone call to Bob's shipping and moving and, and vet him. And I don't want to coach him. I want him to pick up and deliver. I'll let you guys do all that for me. <laughs> so, and, and by the way, while we're talking about it, you mentioned API versus EDI. Give us a little lesson on that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So as you think about just us having this conversation back and forth, just, just kind of strumming along, you know, it's really an API connection, right? You're sending me bits of information, I'm interpreting, and I'm sending you bits of information back. So we're having a real-time dialogue that, that exchanges, you know, very quickly. So open. Yeah. And, and, you know, versus EDI where, you know, EDI typically has a little it's a an batching email. process, right? It, it's an email. <laughs> I've got to craft an email and I send it back to you. So that's strong. Well, it's still, it's still somewhat fresh and, 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 um, and, and quick. It's not real time, right? We don't have the ability to be able to strong quickly because I've got to, I've got to batch my thoughts and then I've got to hit send. And then you've got to batch your thoughts and you've got to hit send. So that, I mean, that's really the difference between API and EDI. Somebody described it to me this way, and I like this analogy, is if I go to a restaurant and I sit at a table and a waitress comes and she takes my order and uh, she takes it back to the chef or cook and they make it and they bring it back. That's kind of that EDI. Now, if I go to the same place and I sit at the counter and the guy who is I'm talking to is making that food and I'm saying, hey, can you give us some more fries? Hey, could you get me a shake? <laughs> right? That's more of an API where it's always open and and so what we're doing in this all in this entire logistics business is connecting via API. So your API is to not only to your customers ERP or their TMS or whatever system your customer has and also do you connect your API on the other side to all those carriers? We do. And and the beauty of it is we're connecting into their uh, whatever they're using to facilitate their operations. So if they've got their own TMS, 
we're connecting into their TMS. And what that does is that lets our logistics partners stay in their native environment as, a, as opposed to trying to force feed them a separate app that says, here, you've got, if you want our deliveries, you've got to go to our job board or you've got to be able to use our app. So, so we are completely agnostic to the single source of truth for the shipper and completely agnostic for the single source of truth for the logistics providers. And that's the beauty of what uh, our CTO, David Dasher, and his team are doing, which is, is they're building that connection layer. And, and, and think of it as just kind of a normalization layer that allows all of these different inputs to come in and normalize it so that we can share it back. You know, we can both be speaking Chinese, but you may be speaking Mandarin and I may be speaking Cantonese. And the beauty of OneRail is that we're going to normalize that and make sure that everybody understands that we're of what everybody's saying, even though we're speaking two different dialects of the same language. Yep. And so your your platform is customer facing. They're actually interfacing with your platform. So they have the ability to bring that data into their system and and never even see our our dashboard or our, our you know kind of the the UX and UI side of our business. You know, and, and that brings that, you know, that data to them, whether it's Salesforce.com or their OMS or whatever they're using as their single source of truth. We can feed that data right back in and their users can stay in that environment. For those that don't have that layer of sophistication, we do provide to them a dashboard, a control tower that allows them to see every delivery in flight. Doesn't make a difference if it's a local courier, if it's a 53 foot drive in, it could be drone when that's ready. We're looking forward to that. Drone providers out there, come talk to me. So it's those types of things where we want to be able to provide a single source of truth in the form of every delivery in flight, but it's your system. It's your process. Whatever is important to you, we're here to facilitate that. And you know, before we jump in, I want to talk a little bit about it. We about inventories, everything. But you mentioned drone deliveries. Are you guys foreseeing there being drone deliveries? And what use case would that would that uh, drone be used? Yeah, we are. We actually are starting to see that. Um, you know, we've we've got some folks that have got some connectivity into that space through some trials that are going on here in the United States, and we definitely see the applicability of it. Uh, it would be something that would be a shorter duration, you know, probably within a you know two to three mile radius of the pickup location. It's going to be light. So if you think about things like small, uh, even pharma- pharmacological deliveries, obviously schedule two and below uh, types of, of medications, uh, we could see that being done. You know, it, it, you're going to have to stay under 10 pounds for it to be done efficiently today. But there's definitely some traction. And, and we're aware of a few trials that are going on today inside of the United States. That- I mean, I, I'm looking forward. If you guys can get it done, I'm. Uh, if anyone can get it done, you guys will get it done. It won't be delivering Bill's refrigerator from. Uh, no, Big Box. not today. <laughs> I'm in the Detroit metro area, like on the far reaches, and so I live kind of not in the country, but close to the country. A lot of people with guns out here, so if I, I just keep thinking, if those things fly by. And it, there's somebody going to shoot it out. And you go into the inner city. I just see, I just see this as a, there's some real challenges to this. And you know, another thing, I, I don't know how this is ever going to work. Can you imagine going out for a walk with your wife or girlfriend and, and you go, and then it's a beautiful day, but there's also like hundreds of drones yeah. <laughs> flying by. I think we'll have, we'll figure it out. I see some great opportunities though for remote areas for sure. I think we're already seeing it there. For sure. Absolutely. And and I'm still looking forward to my jetpack because I was promised about 20 oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah, I was going to have a flying a car too. Jeez, so Pete, I remember as a kid, we talked about having flying cars. Actually, I interviewed a guy about they are working on flying cars. But anyway, let's switch gears and talk sure. about inventories, everything. So I think before we hit record, we were talking about you know the, the topic and we were talking about the importance of inventory. And during covid the whole world woke up to the fact that supply chains are apparently important. Logistics is important. We had a whole armies of gig economy wake up and, and start delivering our groceries. And e-commerce grew rapidly. And I think the kind of things that we saw delivered to homes and to businesses changed. And we're forever changed because of COVID. I'm hoping it's over, knock on wood. But it it did also kind of wake us up to the idea that Having enough inventory is a big thing, but traditionally, we don't have to worry about having enough. We have to worry about having too much. So talk a little bit about what you mean when we talk about inventory is everything and what the challenges is with it. Yeah, so as we think about 
just inventory and and you know so there was a retailer out there that you know had released some probably those that would think fairly negative news around inventory levels that that was our buddies at target right our buddies at target i think they were very open that uh that they have the wrong and by the way it, it almost nobody at a retail level has done better at buy, buy online, pick up at store, delivering. I mean, I think 80, 90% of their e-commerce is delivered from their stores. They they own shipped. They are, so so we're not ripping on them. They are a juggernaut. Uh, they are a, a best case scenario for most retailers. <laughs> and, and if there is anyone out there that is going to come out of this situation smelling like a rose, and this is not an endorsement for any stock out there, but Brian Cornell and his team has proven- He's the CEO there? Yeah, the CEO at Target has proven, dating themselves back to Q3 of 2018, that the investments that they have made in their supply chain, even last mile, right? So the investments that they've made, you, you mentioned it in the acquisition of Shipped, as well as being able to look at inventory across every node where it is stocked and be able to execute a delivery there seamlessly is the key to being able to understand that inventory really is everything. It's where is it and how is it turning? What is my velocity on it? And and it, it seems counterintuitive, but but when you look at what Target did back in 2018, they proved that sometimes shipping from a location that is not the closest location is in your best interest as a retailer, as a distributor, as a manufacturer. And you'd be like, Jeff, that's counterintuitive. Like, why would I want to add cost? And the question comes back. The question that we have to ask ourselves is that item that's maybe a mile or two further away, how fast are you turning it? If it is a slower moving item, if you're due to market down, you may be more better served to be able to ship that from a further distance using a local courier or even using a parcel option if it's in another if it's in another city than to be able to ship it from the customer that is closest to you. And what that does is it does two things. One, it reduces your likelihood to market down, but two, it returns working capital to you. That's the most critical element to what we did in the building products world. Working capital was so critical to us. We had razor thin margins. We had to see a, a the highest level of, of returns on in, invested capital because it was critical to us to be able to return that back so that we could reinvest it. So yeah, it, it, you know, if if you look at the yeah, so they stumbled, and why did they stumble, and what was that? What was the problem? Because there's, by the way, they kind of drove the whole stock market. I think it was not just Target. I think it was also Walmart. Yeah, it it really was a matter of of bringing in the wrong inventory, and in some situations, bringing in excess inventory. So you know, you, you look at some of these articles out here that talk about the bullwhip effect, right? So COVID, we depleted our inventory. So what did we do? We immediately, through our our SIA process, increased our safety stock. So we could place all of these orders and then we have them come over to the United States and now we've got gluts of inventory at the same time. I mean, I think we can all see this. There's a little bit of a checkup in in the what we're seeing from the demand side of the business from consumers, right? So I've got a wave of inventory coming in. It's probably the wrong levels of inventory. It could be the wrong types of inventory. Right. And that's why it's But we understand we understand that, you know, if you're if you're if if there's these big we'll get into the port in a minute, but there's port congestion. There's problems with your supply chain. Your supply chain's having trouble. COVID went, I remember when it first hit, we thought it'd be six months. We thought it'd be a year. We thought it'd be, it was every bit of two years now, right? We thought we'd get a vaccine. Now we're finding out we're going to get a vaccine every year for it. So so they are dealing with this uncertainty. And they said, we have been selling stuff hand over fist. We have empty shelves. Order, order, order. Get that inventory in here. And they're absolutely the heroes if it works. For sure. If they threw the dart and it and it hit and they go perfect, we win. They threw the dart and they missed. And by the way, who who knew? How would you know what to order six months ago? Well, we talked about this. We talked about this in the pre-show, right? It, it, forecasting, whether it's psyop or budget forecasting, you know, you're never right. You're, you're either lucky or you're wrong. I mean, it's your hundred percent guaranteed either be lucky or wrong. And, and the hope is, is that when you're wrong, you're not bad wrong. And I think in some situations, right. not speaking specifically to Target or Walmart, I think we're starting to see that and it's, it's permeated throughout the dollar generals of the world, all of them. You, you're finding that where you where is your level of 
of forecastability. And if you're in a situation where you are wrong and you're bad wrong, you better have a very responsive supply chain and transportation network to be able to work your way out of it. Yeah, I worked for a forecasting company out in Silicon Valley, short, short time. I, I, uh, I learned a lot, but I remember our CEO said, the worst thing that can happen is you have sales, but you don't have inventory. He goes, oh, wait a sec, I take it back. The worst thing you can have is excess inventory. <laughs> and he goes, you see our problem? You see why we need a forecasting software? And it, it, it is a delicate balancing act and carrying costs. And where this is part of the, I think the, the big part we're talking about here is carrying costs of inventory and it ties up your working capital. So if I say, I can't take the chance that I won't have enough. So I bought five times too much. Now what happens? All my money's tied up in that. And one of the things I think when we talk about retail, I don't necessarily have to have it at every location. And by the sure. way, I, I bought the, the PC that we're, I'm doing this podcast on from Best Buy. And when I bought it, it's very much like the last couple of computers I bought there. I went there, touched it, used it, said, I want this one. And they said, cool, we'll get it to your house by tomorrow. So what they're saying is we'll have, you know, I'm in the Detroit metro area. There's probably one location somewhere not too far away. Maybe it's Chicago. Maybe it's Detroit area that delivers that computer to my house the next day. And they don't have to carry inventory. And let's just say this is a slow-moving computer. Do you want to keep it at every Best Buy store in, in Michigan for it to just waste away and in six months be obsolete? Or do you want to keep it at one location and say, we can keep the inventory cost down. And by the way, when I have it in Chicago instead of Detroit, my transportation costs went up, but I don't have those carrying costs. So that's that's the so for sharp pencils like you, Jeff, this is what you, you know how to deal with these quandaries. Yeah, keep your items as close to your customer as humanly possible and allow your B and C and even your D items, make them accessible but it does require you to think differently about how I deliver it, uh, how I deliver it to a customer, right? So I may have to look at moving an A item that is closer to a customer, to the customer, but being able to look at, and, and you know, we touched on this earlier, you know, it's it's the tire analogy, right? If, if I've got a speed rated tire that's a funky size and I'm Jeff's pretty good tire installer, I can't afford to stock that location. But what I can't afford is I can't afford to lose your order. So I need that delivered to me in 90 minutes. So I've got to be able to have access to a distributor that can provide me with that super fast, thin profile tire that looks really cool. Right. I got to have access to it in 90 minutes because my wife who's sitting there at the showroom doesn't want to be sitting there for four hours waiting for that delivery to show up because you've got a flat right. tire, right? She's like, okay, two hours, where's my tire? And that's the key of being able to have the A items, right? That, that, that Honda Civic tire, man, I need to pull it off a shelf. But if I got an oddball item, man, go ahead and deliver that to me, but just make sure I get it in less than two hours. Yep. So at my tire store, I've got, uh, a hundred fast moving tires. I'm making that up. The my the hundred fastest moving tires. It's for the Tauruses, the yeah. the um, the minivans. All yeah, yeah, I have I have sure. a Ford, I have a Ford Escape, and I think about thirty percent of the population drives the same car as I do. And and so they have all those tires right there. But to your point, the a little more exotic stuff is maybe at a DC or a distributor. And you can get it quick. And now, now I don't have to carry that inventory. But here's, here's this is a little bit of the challenge, Jeff. We have to actually think a little bit. So if I think only about transportation costs, I worry and say, somebody in transportation says, my job is to reduce the cost of transportation. I'm reducing the cost of transportation 5%, 10%. I'm a genius. I'm going to get rewarded for that. Okay, good. Now I got the guy who's responsible for managing inventory. And he says, my costs are going up all the time. Why? Because transportation costs are going down. And I have to not, the way we got those to come down is we carry more inventory closer, close to all the customers, even the slow moving stuff. Yeah. So that's the general balance that, I mean, that's, that's the really local the optimum. It's local optimum is always, it's a silo. Silos are a problem for just that reason. I don't care if I'm the business owner, I don't care if my, transportation costs go up a little if my inventory and carrying costs of inventory went down. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, it's the greatest good. What is the greatest good for you, which is ensuring that you have the ability to be able to take the order profitably. And that does include the element of making sure that, that you've got to be able to fill the entire basket, right? right? That's a key element to this is if I'm filling partial basket, the shopper is going to go someplace else where they can fill the entire basket. The worst thing that can happen is going to a local home improvement store and finding out that the you got eight of the 10 items that you need. I scratch my head and go, okay, well, why do I got to go across the street to the, to the other one to be able to fill all 10 items? And, and you just have got to be able to provide that to your shoppers today. So what's interesting to me, and again, I, I'm a, I come from automotive, which I always say the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth is we always worry about our costs and we try and look from the top down. And most logistics and transportation companies, that's probably the people who are listening to my podcast, they say, my job is to reduce transportation costs, plain and simple. But I think if you can get in, at, at, we're going to have to find ways to add more value as technology does more and more of the routine. Amen. This is one of those areas where we can add more value. We can start be acting and thinking like business owners rather than just the guy who moves the freight. Nothing against moving freight, but if you can jump in and also be the part of the solution that says, hey, Mr. Shepard, let me help you reduce your inventory costs. Yeah, amen. And by the way, it's much more expensive. By the way, inventory carrying costs can be way more than transportation costs. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Especially as every day that that turn increases, you know, as you, if you're looking at your velocity, it becomes exponential because your, your, your lines of credit become a tax at that point and you have to be able to recover that cash. It's no different than the return saga, right? The, the longer that a return sits in someone's trunk, it's inventory you're going to own. So it's all about it's all about working capital velocity. And that's why inventory is everything. It's about making sure that you get the optimal velocity out of every SKU, but you have to have a broad assortment because you have to be able to fill the basket. And that's why, you know, kind of PSYOP, this sales and inventory operations planning process is so critical. And, and making sure that you've got this responsive supply chain and the ability to be able to execute a delivery regardless of mode to any of your customers is a key element. But to your point that it's a very gentle balance of making sure that you get everything deployed properly to be able to, to captivate that working capital return. Yep. I think we, again, we in the transportation logistics space, 3PLs, well, you guys are already doing it, are starting to realize we are not just localized transportation provider. We have to engage higher up in the organization. I had a McKinsey partner on, and he said, for years, as he works with the logistics sector, he said, for years, people would complain, logistics and transportation people don't have a seat at the table. We don't get to be a strategic part of the business. This is the argument that, and OneRail is saying it, and, and already made this case, that we need to be, we need to be engaging at a high level. We are strategic partner and we're strategic partner that can help you reduce your inventory costs. Well, let's just say optimize that mix between transportation costs and inventory costs. Uh, and, and you can be that guy that says, hey, we, we'll get it to you in 90 minutes and save you millions of dollars in carrying costs. You're not arguing, can I get an extra 20 bucks for that load? Yeah. That's not the conversation to have. <laughs> but Joe, your point's spot on. I mean, the inventory and supply chain guys, don't take offense to anybody out there that was in the space. We're the cool kids now. We're the kids that are getting called to the, we're getting called out of the kids' table up to the adults' table to be part of the conversation. Because when you take a look at what happens when you don't, then you start seeing a 20% checkup in your stock value. And that's where it's critical. Focus has to be placed today. But the piece that I can't, can't underscore enough, Joe, you have to do something different. You cannot assume that you're going to be able to do the same things you were doing 25 years ago and expect a better result. The world is changing in front of us. Take a right. look at the, the West Coast Longshoreman's uh, situation out there right now. It scares the daylights out of me, Joe. You know, as, as I look at what was transpiring back in 2014 and 2015, I loved, I wish I had all of our, our listeners in front of us so I could see a show of hands of, of those that, that went through that situation from, you know, May of 14 to February of 15. And uh, I was there. I remember. I remember. It well, well, wait, wait, what happened? So if, if 
if you kind of recall back then, the the and, and just to maybe provide some depth there, sixty percent of all of the imports coming into the United States come through West Coast ports. So there's 29 ports that that uh, are spread out from you know kind of Seattle all the way down, and and that's sixty percent of the import volume that comes into the United States goes through those ports. It's fascinating, and I learned this when I started learning about import logistics. I'm like, can somebody help me understand why I've got a container coming through Port of Los Angeles that's going to Cleveland? And they're like, well, that's the fastest way to get it there. You bring it into the Port of Los Angeles, you stick it on a railhead, you railhead it up to Cleveland, and it gets there faster than trying to get that vessel from China all the way up to New Jersey, get it on a, a truck or in a rail, and get it to Cleveland. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Until they went on start, they started to some some slowdowns, some work stoppages, and then they ultimately were locked out in uh, 2015. Then my container that was going to Cleveland was stuck at the port. And in this situation, when we started to look back in, in January and February of 2019, there were a lot of signals that we missed early on in that work disruption on the West Coast uh, through the ports. And you, you started to sense it long before you felt it when you looked back on it. And we're starting to see some of those same trends today. So if you take a look at just, just straight activity, just look at, at, at uh, 20 load equivalents, TEUs, when you look at the, the increase in dwell time, the amount of time that TEUs, 20-foot equivalents, are sitting at the port in Long Beach, it's up 20% since the middle of May. And what is kind of the, the event that is starting to have us look and see? The West Coast Longshoremen's Union contract expires July 1st. So the same situation we started to see in some slowdowns in the activity of moving containers through West Coast ports back in 2014 and 2015, and those that were there remember this, we're starting to see the same type of elements. It's taking longer for containers to get onto rail cars. It's taking longer for containers to get on trucks. And that was a bit scary for us. And what did we do? So we quickly decided to redesto containers. So we started to utilize the, the, the Panama Canal and containers that were headed to Long Beach. We said, you know what, let's go see if we can go deliver those things to Savannah or to Charleston. So we decided to put another week and a half to two weeks of float time on, on the vessels and that container and try to deliver them to East Coast ports to be able to move them through because there was a log jam at the ports. There's already a log jam at the ports. So this is a bit scary for me, Joe, as I look at it today. Right. And, I and, look their, and, see, and their contract expires, I think, I think it already expired, and I think they extended it to July 1st, correct. if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So when we talk about the warehouse, so when we talk about containers coming into either Port of Long Beach or Port of Los Angeles, they are unloaded and loaded, and uh, all that movement is by the International Longshoremen and Warehousing Union. I think it's ILWU. And then on the East Coast, I think it's ILWA. They're not up for, I don't know. I might have gotten that backwards, but they're international uh, labor unions for longshoremen and warehousing workers and some of the oldest unions. And by the way, I Googled it last time we talked about this. Uh, the average guy, uh, average longshoreman makes 170 grand. And somebody said on my podcast, again, I don't know this is true, said, Hey, one of those good, your top crane operator working a lot of hours, you're making over 300 grand a year. Wow. Uh, that I didn't know. That's Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody. I, I, this was just said on my podcast. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I try not to make stuff up on my podcast, but if somebody tells me, I just go, okay, I'm trusting you. They know, you know more than <laughs> I do. But anyway, so we have potentially a real problem. And, you know, we already have supply chain breaks along the way. If you're doing business in China, if you're, there's some potential challenges there with lockdowns in their cities. We have challenges around the, around the globe. We have obviously the stuff that's going on in Europe and then you, and all these, it's a delicate system. So these can all impact us. And, and what you're, you're talking about is we need to, as we get off of COVID, now we have to start worrying about, are we going to have another problem at our port? And I think I'm guessing, don't know this, it's not my money, but I'm guessing people are going to say, just pay those guys. This is this is not yeah. the time to mess because this could potentially be another um, another weight on the economy. We already have inflation issues and 
I know gas is on sale for cheap, but uh, <laughs> we have enough Although issues. We're here we don't gas, need this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and what's interesting, Joe, and, and I'm happy to see that the administration is involved a little earlier this time than than the administration we were involved in in 2014 and 15. Personally, I felt the administration took a little bit longer to come in than they should have, which really added tax to that situation. Uh, but you're right, Joe. Th- this is the last thing that this that, that our country needs right now is is to put additional tax, both in imports and exports. The piece of this that kind of flies under the radar is how much of our military supplies, which are needed nationally, especially with the global environments we're dealing with right now, that go through these ports as well. Exports are taking you know order of magnitude longer than imports. So this only becomes exacerbated as we continue to to tax the work capacity out of these ports, which are already busy. I mean, even take a look at some of the East Coast ports. Take a look at Savannah and Charleston. They're seeing record volumes right now. I saw. So that. you know the the piece that I could not urge enough. For, for our listeners here is uh, is act today. Take, take the opportunity to really diagnose your supply chain, especially your inbound containers and understand where they're dustowing. But once you, if you wait until it's too late, it's going to be way too late because you're not going to have the ability to recover like we did then. Yeah, Jeff, I've, I've learned some things as the last year or so about um, our ports. And one of the things that this is kind of a shock 60, 70, 80% of the containers leaving LA and Long Beach are going back, are going out empty, going back to Asia empty. So that's a problem. We got to figure that problem out. And so we're shipping empty containers, which by the way, that costs us to be spread out somewhere, right? So we, we are all paying extra for this and we have to figure out a better solution. And, you know, we also, we used air freight. Air freight moves, I think 1% of the volume and you know of of what the ports do with uh, ships, but it tends to be it's it's much more expensive. It's mobile phones, it's ships and stuff, and those are flying mostly fifty percent in the belly of planes. But that is not going to be a solution. You're not going to move the lumber that your old company bought in the belly of a plane. I'd pay to see that, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so getting back to it, Jeff, what. You mentioned we need to start doing something. What do we need to do when we're talking about inventory being everything? What what would be the perfect scenario, the advice you would give people uh, going forward into these uncertain times? Ensure that you know where all of your inventory is. And I know that seems logical, but as we talk to as we talk to some of the folks that are in the supply chain world at the highest levels, we still remain a bit a bit surprised at how little depth certain customers, prospective clients could have around their inventory and, and where it's located and, and how it's performing. And combining that with the ability to be able to find an alternative way to be able to deliver it. If you are not, if you do not have the capabilities to ship from every location where you stock inventory, strongly encourage any of any of our listeners here to, to really start to dig deep into that because this problem is going to get worse before it gets better. And you need to know where your inventory is and how can I move it either from a distribution center at a, at a less than carton level to a store or even to a uh, into a, a, you know, a customer that would be receiving the goods. So plan now, you know, again, 2014, 2015 really was a foreshadowing event for where we stand right now today, which is there's disruption coming. And the beauty of it is we have inventory here. The question that, that uh, you know, our listeners need to think through is, do I have it in the right location? And if not, do I have a way to be able to move it efficiently, either through a parcel alternative or through a local courier alternative or through an, a 3PL alternative? That could be LTL. Do I have contracts to be able to, to uh, support LTL or am I going into the spot market? You know, spot markets are very attractive right now, but, you know, kind of as, as we start to pick up a little bit, that may not be your most cost effective alternative. So, you know, inventory is everything and where it is, is the most critical element and how you can transact it is super important right now because disruption is coming worse than we know it today. Right. And by the way, one of my uh, podcasts in the past was with Throughput. Throughput is a company that is software. And one of the things they will say um, is when you actually you do the proper throughput accounting on a lot of goods, you'll find out you don't make money. And one of the reasons a lot of large retailers have raised with their margins is those carrying costs, it's inventory costs. And when you throw in, some are perishable. 
makes that even more difficult. And when Absolutely. you say perishable, it's perishable isn't just food and drugs. It's sometimes fashion, right? So getting, I mean, Michigan, getting shorts in October in the Midwest isn't that useful, right? You got to get the shorts here when we want them. We're not going to wear them all winter. So we have to do a better job. I should say as an industry, all industries have to do a better job of accounting, accounting your true cost because transportation costs are, when you add them, they often make your, make your uh, transaction a loss. Carrying inventory for six months or a year might make your transaction a loss. So we need to start looking closer. So, Anyway, dig deep now. Dig deep now, Joe. I just it's it's once you've identified the problem, it's going to be too late. So um, I want to summarize. I want to get your final thoughts on this before before we wrap this bad boy up. So we talked about the topic, which is inventory is everything, and we talked about a lot of problems. One, we talked a lot about this, the challenges with same day, next day. The consumer expectations are now way up there. I can't deliver that refrigerator in 10 days anymore and expect that I'm going to keep a customer. So we have that, the bar has gotten really high. Uh, we're all expecting same day, next day. And I think we're also expecting a really nice, consistent customer uh, delivery experience. It can't be, hey, somebody, some some punk threw it on my porch and it's half broke. Yeah. That, that doesn't work. I think we, t- we talked a little bit about the inventory challenges that some of the very best companies had, which is... Target and Walmart. When companies like that miss, <laughs> that tells you this is not an easy business because those are the consummate pros at this. And if you don't believe, if you don't believe us, just Google it right now. They their their stock price took a hit. They'll do. They're they're going to do just fine. But these are the guys who we all were looking to as best practices. And I think we'll continue to look at those companies as best practices. But they stumbled with what inventory. <laughs> and then we talked a little bit about this idea of how do I keep my inventory cost low? And we use the example of the tire store. I'm going to keep my fast moving tires at every location of my 40 locations in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. And I'm going to keep my slow movers maybe at a, a warehouse that I can ship out in an hour, 90 minutes. Absolutely. Right? And then last but not least, we talked a little bit about this, um, this potential, <laughs> another, uh, Another kick in the shins for our uh, supply chains, which is the potential strike in the warehouse union or the Long- Longshoremen's Union out in LA and Long Beach. So, big topic here, Jeff. Give us some final thoughts. What did I miss? No, I, I think you were spot on, Joe. And it, it really is, you know, just kind of thinking about the old Rocky Balboa quote, right? It's it's not how fast you get knocked down; it's how fast you get back up. Uh, you know, it, it's funny here it, it, at One Rail, we've got this thing. It's called Jeffisms, and it's I, I'm the king of cliches. And, and Lisa built <laughs> I love it. They got a whole they got a whole list of them. But one of my one of the most favorite ones is I, I don't really I don't want to dwell too much on how the donkey got in the ditch, right? Donkey, it happens. Things fall in. Things fall off the road a little bit. We we've got to act quick to be able to ensure that the donkey gets back out of the ditch and is headed to market, right? right? And and that's the key element to this today. The fact that you have too much inventory, the fact that you're struggling with turns I, today, trying to fix a, a stocking, you know, a, a, a reorder point or a safety stock level, that's going to help you six months down the road. The way you've got to think about it today is where's my inventory and how can I go ahead and transact that the most efficient way to be able to give me my working capital back? Because that's the one thing I can tell everybody to, to think about today is just how are you going to get that working capital back? And everything we touched on today, I think really leverages that. Right. And Jeff, we uh, during COVID, we saw certain supply chains, not most, but I think everybody was hit a little bit. Certain supply chains were more brittle than we expected. Yeah. And w- what this is all speaking to, and, and I think what OneRail is bringing, and, and another transportation, especially the orchestration platforms, what I think they can bring is a resiliency. So if so, I can quickly recover. You know, so if, if, if one of your guys doesn't perform, boom, they're gone. You know, if they if you can't get them to work on a consistent level, get a new one. You got nine million drivers, you can figure it out. And I think this is what we all have learned from the last two years, which is we gotta be more resilient. We have to be able to take that punch like Rocky Balboa and get back up. Yeah, and, and you know, the beauty of of the way that we have designed our 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 process of interacting with our customers prior to them being our customers, 
we take a very consultative approach to it. So our teams, we have teams that are fully dedicated at, at visiting with a prospective client and going through all of these permutations with them. And, and we call it a value engineering analysis, right? So we go through a process, it's at no charge, where we spend time with, with members of, of a retailer or distributor's team and understand every aspect of that. And then we come through and say, okay, by by deploying exactly what we've talked about, whether it's it's our, our, our network of nine and a half million carriers and couriers, our ability to be able to put that product closer to your customers through micro fulfillment, we can come back and help a shipper, uh, those retailers and distributors understand what that means to them in terms of earnings per share. Just what is that, right. you know, that, that little bit of tweak, what is that going to do to my EPS? Can I increase my EPS by one cent, two cents by just making simple changes? We've got a customer that's going through that analysis right now. And, and the results have been incredible. So we're excited to do that for customers. And it comes free of charge. And, and that's why we've got a lot of folks here that got a lot of logistics experience to help. Right. And you mentioned EPS, that's earning per share. And that's what we're, what we're looking at. And again, what you're speaking to is, you're not just the transportation guy. And I think almost regardless of what you're selling in transportation logistics, you want to you want to add more value. You want to become that strategic partner rather than just talk to talk to Susan out back. She'll figure out, you know, if you can save her fifty dollars on today's load, uh, you'll get the business. That that there's a there's a place for that. But I think when you're selling transportation logistics services, you can go into the accounting group, the finance group and say, yeah. how many bills do you pay every month? And they say, oh, we got 60 people we're paying. Well, we'll get it down to you pay one, us. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And no more auditing, no more calling 60 different suppliers and saying, could you please put your bill in the format we want it in? None of Amen. that. Amen. <laughs> right? You can also work with the sales sales guys who say, hey, look, I sold it, but we just can't deliver it. Um, so a lot of times people say, well, why, why does sales care about logistics? Because that's their customer. They're responsible. It's quota attainment, man. That's the one way you get quota attainment is I got to close the order. So I think this is why we, and then if you're in operations and you're you're managing a warehouse or a factory or whatever, you're dependent on a, your logistics and supply chain. So I think we have to, we have to, in this industry, push ourselves to the, to add more value so we can be at that, as you called it, the grown-up table, because we can add more value. And again, this is a perfect example. You guys can engage and say, hey, we're, we're not going to talk to you about saving you 20 bucks on your last shipment. We're going to talk to you about reducing your inventory carrying costs, which is going to save you millions of dollars this year. That's a conversation people are willing to have. You get to talk to the CEO when you talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're absolutely spot on. And, and you know, the ability to be able to deploy this quickly in advance of something as simple as the holiday season, you know, these are capabilities that we're, we're able to execute for customers every day right now. So, man, we'd, we'd love the opportunity to visit with anybody that's, that's trying to figure out how to revolutionize their supply chain and really be part of the conversation with them. So let's wrap this bad boy up. I know I took more time of yours than I was supposed to, but um, what's new? Well, first off, who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys serve and what do you do for them? Yeah, so our sweet spot really is the the retailers, the distributors, the wholesalers, the manufacturing community as a whole. Does that, and, e and that include e-commerce? You know, absolutely. We can support e-commerce. We have a, our capabilities inside of our platform support parcel as well as as local couriers. So to be able to support those folks, whether you're delivering e-commerce inside of a metropolitan area or I'm shipping across the country, the platform handles that all very elegantly. So, you know, one area that that is growing for us very rapidly is the is the grocery uh, that grocery industry. They've got the same needs. Uh, we could do a whole separate episode as it relates to the impacts on on uh, Instacart and all the other folks and how they're disintermediating the customer there. We're, to underscore, our solution is a white-labeled solution for the shippers. So healthcare providers and, and even 3PLs, the, you know, the 3PLs out there that really kind of provide, air quotes, final mile, but it's not something they love to do, is something that's right in our wheelhouse. And that includes everything, including room of choice, white glove care, debris removal, 
we're able to support all of that. Installation, we've got a customer that's coming to us right now that uh, is asking us to be able to do facilitate installation. We're not going to do the installation, but we're going to partner with teams, give them visibility in the whole process to make sure that an installer for a refrigerator or a stove or, you know, whatever, dryer or freezer, whatever, shows up within 15 minutes of that item being delivered and make sure that it gets installed, gets your survey all filled out for you, and gets everything back to you in a single pane of glass instantaneously. So that's really our sweet spot. Is, is being able to service those customers, whether it's B2B or B2C. We're agnostic to the delivery. At the end of the day, we look at it as a, as a pickup location and a drop-off location. Yeah, and by the way, when you we used to say e-commerce, I would use e-commerce and D2C, uh, direct-to-consumer. I would use those interchangeably. But what's happened is e-commerce is increasingly becoming a B2B thing also. Because I think, I think a lot of companies said, you know, this B2C works pretty well. Could we serve customers B2B same way? And, and they found out that that's how people want to buy sometimes. So anyway, what I'll do, Jeff, is I'll put a link to the, your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a great. link to whatever links you give me for OneRail. And uh, so people can reach out and talk to you and, and your team. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. No, Joe, thank you so much for, for having me join your community and, and, and um, really appreciate the listeners that have made it this far for hearing me out all the way through. So, <laughs> you know, I could talk inventory all day and, and for anybody out there that, that wants to, you know, we've, we've triggered a thought or a notion um, and you're going to be at the NRF Supply Chain 360 in Cleveland on the 19th and 20th. We're going to be in booth 403. Come visit me, man. Love that. Love to check. One more time. What was that? What was the conference? Yeah, it's the NRF, National Retail Foundation, the Supply Chain 360 in Cleveland. Going back home. I was born in Cleveland. Looking All forward right. to getting back there again. But January 19th and 20th, we're going to be in booth uh, 403. So Wait, January? I'm oh, sorry. Did I say January? June. Yeah. It, seems like, it seems like we just uh, <laughs> toasted at the beginning of the year. So, it, All right. So you'll be at NRF. That's good. So if you get into that conference, any other conference you guys heading to? We've got, I'll give you a whole list of them. We're, we're spread out everywhere from, uh, we're going to be if in If you Amsterdam. go to a conference, you'll see yeah. that. And uh, but I'm going to be in Cleveland uh, here just up and coming. But man, uh, please come by. So happy to do a demonstration and talk through how a value engineering ass- assessment would work for, uh, for shippers. Jeff, I think this is, I've done uh, this podcast for four years. This is the first time anybody from like the transportation logistics space talked to me about inventory. Now I get when warehousing people talk about inventory, but this is, I think this is, it speaks to the next level of value we're going to be able to add. And I think we're going to increasingly see companies move out of, I can get you a truck to let me, let me be an order to cash guy from order to cash. I'm going to reduce your costs. I specialize in transportation, but we know about inventory. We know about technology. We bring a lot to the party because increasingly the computers, the technology is doing more and more of the routine work. So it's hard to say, I'll, I'll get you saying like you guys never probably engaged saying, I'll get you a truck. Yeah, that's important. It's an important part of your job, but the fact that you're engaging at a much higher, again, it's, I call it overused, but I'll call it engaging at a strategic level. And that's what we should be doing. And, the, you know, just to, to underscore that, it's the shipper's process. We do not deploy one rail. We deploy your process on your behalf. We're just the, we're just kind of the person behind the curtain pulling all the levers and making sure that your customers see your experience, not ours. Oh, cool. You guys are like Oz. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. Joe, greatly appreciate it. Thanks again. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.